Hi, What The Healthcare listeners. Uh, I'm the host this week, Simon Quazir. Uh, welcome, everybody. This is the podcast where we tackle some of the trending topics, ideas and best practice in health and social care. This week, I'm speaking to Anthony Hall. Anthony is the Director of Insights, Assurance and Governance at HC1, the UK's largest elderly residential care provider, which has over 300 care homes and provides positive personalised care and support to more than 14,000 residents. Um, Welcome to the podcast this week, Anthony. Thank you, Simon. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. Excellent. Good to hear and see you again. Um, uh, I, I saw you recently at the uh, the care show. We had a fun time. Um, I, I'd like to start off by asking you just to tell us a little bit about yourself outside of work, Anthony. Oh, crikey. Uh, I guess that um, my main interest outside of work, there are two things really. My one-year-old Jack Russell, uh, who's called Doug, who occupies all of my time, and uh, uh, and that's been a real thrill to have him in my life. And and secondly, I'm a very passionate Grimsby Town supporter, and uh, and I've been a Grimsby Town supporter since I was seven years old, and uh, and that's one of my great interests in life. And and uh, and uh, I go to home and away matches constantly. Do you, do you take the the dog with you, or do you go alone? Unfortunately, no, the dog has to stay behind. Yeah. <laughs> this week, um, we're going to start, I'm going to talk us through a few of the topics, some of which are really pertinent and uh, uh, they're, they're absolutely close to both of our hearts. Um, but I'm going to start off by saying that we shouldn't mention the C word, should we? Um, and before our listeners start jumping to conclusions, uh, shall we just uh, articulate exactly what the C word we're, we're referring to here? And it's around compliance so i would like to for you to emphasize and express what's your view around quality and what's the main driving force uh, in making a real difference uh, and and because you're so passionate about not having to use the c word um, i thought it'd be interesting for our listeners to really get to know exactly what that means to you so uh, uh, could, could you perhaps start off by explaining what that means the c word yeah, and I, I, I guess I've now got this reputation inside HC1 uh, uh, that uh, you don't mention the compliance word in front of me because I think that um, organisations can be absolutely fixated with compliance and you, you see performance reports, you see uh, audits, you see all these kind of things that are all talking about compliance. Now, I'm an ex-regulator. I was at CQC for, for over 10 years, and so I understand the importance of compliance. But And compliance for me is, is just what has to happen. It, it should be the norm. It should be what happens 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's, it's what we used to call in CQC the fundamental standards. And, and I think by focusing on a fundamental standard, which should just be as business as usual, then you are missing the point of how we improve quality. And quality is a very different word to compliance. Sure. And I have this personal belief that if you focus on quality and outcomes for residents, automatically you then achieve compliance. But I do honestly believe that if you just focus on compliance, you don't necessarily meet uh, quality outcomes. And let's be honest, that's why CQC brought in ratings in the first place. It was, and they moved away from the old model, which was to talk about compliance and non-compliance to to a quality measure, 
which is is the ratings. Right. And for that very reason, because people were focusing on audits and fridge temperatures and, and doing all the health and safety checks, which have got to be done, but they should got to be done anyway. So uh, quality and focusing on outcome for residents is absolutely key. And, and that's what it, everything I try and do in HC1 and the, and the work that we do with our operational teams is focusing on the Q word, not the C word. And, and, and I expect in the C word to just be automatically there. Uh, yeah, I think the you, you know the w- w- when you are just concentrating on on compliance as your your end goal, um, mm-hmm. you you can you can almost create a behaviour of of people ticking a box as being the end goal. And what you're really referring to here is that that shouldn't never be the end goal. That should be a prerequisite, and and the prerequisite should be a given, and and that should be, as you say, BAU business as usual. What we want to try and uh, uh, ascertain as quickly as possible is how do we drive up quality, and and in in the in the role that you now have with um, insights and, and and governance, what insight and overview are. Uh, and I, I appreciate from conversations that we've had in the past, these these are really pushing you at HC1 to provide uh, a much better understanding of um, what does that quality look like. And we'd be interested to know um, what do you see as the as insights, and how does this have a direct impact on your staff and the people that you look after, your residents. Yeah, because I think, you know, it's easy to think that the word insights has become a little bit of a buzzword. And uh, and uh, and so it's easy to think that we're just sort of using that word too. But actually, what we're trying to do is create something quite different in our organisation. What we actually want to create is a completely holistic view of every home and, and, and therefore understand the context about why things happen and put them into context. And um, and insights for us is knowing about the workforce, it's knowing about the demographics, it's work knowing about what happens to every single resident and when there are incidents, what that means and what it is. And then fundamentally, what is the learning? And that links to the previous uh, conversation about quality. Fundamental to all of this is getting learning from everything that happens. You can only do that if you understand the context. So, for example, if people are falling in, in a home, and people do fall in homes, what we actually not need to focus on about is somebody falls, then we do a risk assessment and we put mitigations or crash mats or sensors, etc. What we actually need to do is really understand why mm. they are falling mm. so that we can stop them falling again because that's all that matters. So, therefore, if somebody's falling, we need to know whether that's because they have an infection, that's because they're not having enough to drink, that's because they're not having enough to eat, there's been something different with their medication, or they haven't received medication when they should have done. Is there something different in their life? You know, have they got the right footwear? All that sort of stuff provides us with the context as to why that person's falling, so then we can do a piece of learning to stop them falling again. And that's what I mean by insights. And and it's not just by a crude set of, or, or highly sophisticated set of data analytics that insights generally can mean. It's about bringing all of that information together. Now, on the scale that we're trying to do that, that's really pushing the boundaries because... You know, I, you know, with multiple thousands of residents across multiple sites, 
That's really difficult to do, but that's the absolute aim so that we can understand, even if it's people like me in the support offices or people uh, in the homes themselves, we can really understand what, uh, what is happening to each individual registrant and the context of why that is. Yeah, I think... Uh, I- I think the Jack Russell of the background is agreeing there, Anthony. Oh, I do apologise. I think the postman's just arrived. That, that's that's okay. <laughs> you know, you and I, uh, we were together recently at a at, at a dinner, and you were giving some great examples around where insights can be really, really helpful to learn from. Um, mm. And can you tell tell us a little bit about these? And I'm specifically thinking of the the weight loss in the dining room um, uh, conversation that we had. I think our listeners would really benefit from that. Yeah, sure. Um, So uh, one of the things, you know, because it's quite easy for care providers to look at weight loss and you can, and all care providers will be measuring people's weights on a weekly or monthly basis, whatever. And then all providers will be tracking whether people are losing weight or not. And then the common thing is, well, let's understand, shall we encourage them more to eat more? Shall we fortify their diets? All those sorts of things. Um, but actually, what we discovered using this insight model, actually, that there was a correlation between some of our refurbishment programs that were taking place. So we're, we're currently doing a massive refurbishment program around 200 of our homes. Um, and some of those are really big programs. And what was happening was the dining room was being taken out of commission or, or for an lo- extended period or even for a short period. So people were having to eat in places they weren't usually eating. So perhaps in their own rooms or in a different area of the home, or they were sat with people that they don't normally sit with. And what we actually found was, because fundamentally dining's a uh, an experience for us all, right. and it's certainly an experience for people who are living in a care home. It doesn't change. It's And for some people, it might be the only thing they look forward to all day. Mm. Um, and if we change that in any small way, it completely can disrupt Uh, people's appetite, particularly if they've got a cognitive impairment and they're not able to express that they're they're uncomfortable with that change. So actually, we found this direct correlation. And so what we now do is when we're preparing those refurb programs is to ask our home managers to work with the contractors and the property team to really understand how we're going to be better preparing our residents for that change and, and talk to them, encourage them, support them, ask them where they want to eat, who they want to be with, so we can manage that change. And actually by doing that, we've stabilized some of that weight loss. And that just shows you how you can use information in a different way to improve a resident outcome. So powerful, um, yeah, and, and, and when, you, when you boil it down, quite simplistic, but you need the data in the first place, right, in order to make those, those assertions. So um, I'm, I'm just picking up on something that you said there by, when you mentioned about speaking up, uh, speaking with the residents and the people that you support. Do, do you often gain feedback from residents and how, how does that manifest in, in the quality of care that you deliver? I'd be re- really interested in knowing that, you know, does the feedback from the residents, the families, how do you gain that? How do you gain that understanding? What, how does that dialogue work at HC1? Yeah, so, I mean, traditionally, as, as you know, most people listening to this podcast will know that traditionally care providers and social care providers have done an annual survey, for mm-hmm. example, of, you know, patients, residents, relatives, etc. And, 
And, um, and largely, some of that, I think, was to tick a box with the regulator to say that you've sought some feedback. And then yeah. and then you traditionally perhaps uh, do an action plan around that, which might take a couple of months to put together. And then you'd issue sort of a we said, you said we did kind of statement afterwards. We we feel that, that that doesn't really serve our purpose well. We want to understand our resident and relative feedback and our colleague feedback, actually, right. in a really agile way. So we've just actually completed a huge survey, which we've done in lots of multiple formats, paper, online, text, all kinds of things, that is now going to be iterative all the time. So that will be, for example, we have something called person of the day. Uh, other organizations might call it resident of the day, where uh, that person, everything happens around that person on that day each month. And, and we'll be seeking feedback from them and their families on that day. We'll be seeking feedback on their anniversary of moving into the home. We'll be seeking feedback immediately if their care plan has changed or their needs have changed. So we've, we're doing it continually all the time. We've created this really impressive set of dashboards where we, and the purpose of that is so that it informs the things that we want to do. So when we're looking at investment priorities, training priorities, quality improvement initiatives, etc., we can actually validate the need to do those and the priority to do those based on what our residents and relatives are telling us. But more importantly, we can actually validate the improvement because this is an iterative process. So if, for example, in, in one of our homes, you know, our, our resident relative feedback are saying there's something wrong with our dining experience. The meals might not be hot enough. They might not be adequate size. They might not be good enough. And, and that determines a priority for us to go and address that issue by sending in our catering and hospitality teams and do extra training or retrain the chefs, whatever that is. That informs our priority. But then in two, three months later, we can validate that improvement because you expect to see improved feedback from those residents and relatives. So we're actually using it to drive our business initiatives and our priorities. Yeah, amazing. Um, so w w with that, you know, when it comes to the, the, the quality of care that you deliver, you know, most you, you, most organize, most care operators and HC1, I'm sure included, is absolutely reliant on the staff that it employs and retains to deliver that really high quality um, of care. Um, wh when it comes to staff and recruitment, which is probably one of the, if not the biggest challenge right now in the sector, in some parts of the country, there are 40% uh, vacancies. How do you ensure, how does HC1 ensure that you retain the care workers, the staff, your colleagues, as you call them. And have you got any tips for people struggling to recruit uh, the right people in the right roles? Yeah, I mean, you're right to recognise the challenge, Simon. And, and I think everybody listening to this will, will you know, appreciate that challenge. And, and certainly there are pockets that, you know, we've got locations across all three of the, the home countries. And there are pockets of those. It's real struggle to recruit. And, and even if you put, you know, great emphasis on recruitment through targeted recruitment campaigns, which we've done, that then the key is the, is the actual retention. So actually what we're finding at the moment, the, the emphasis we place on recruitment is paying rich dividends. We've got higher number of applicants than we've ever had, even pre-COVID. Uh, but actually retention is still the issue. Mm. So the easiest 
and the most sort of straightforward answer is to improve pay. And indeed, we've over the last year we've put eighteen million pounds extra into our pay budget for care staff, and we've put them into new job bands that allows them to have progression points and and can develop a career structure. But it's not just pay. Uh, that's important. And we're not the sector leading payers, but we're in a very competitive place. Um, it's more about also giving people the right environment to work in. Mm. So nobody wants to come to work and do a bad job. I fundamentally believe that. I think everybody turns up each day wanting to do the very best they can, particularly in our sector. But sometimes the barriers that companies and organisations put in the way of people means that they cannot achieve that each day. So we need to look at that really hard. So for example, if you've got, um, I was talking to somebody yesterday about a care plan and the fact that, um, you know, the, the care plan was taking them half an hour longer to do than you'd normally expect because there's areas of repetition in it. Mm. And the easiest answer is to just remove the repetition. And so, you know, as we're designing our new care plan, and, and you know, and as you know, we're, we're moving to a new digital care plan solution in the next few months. And we're, as part of that redesign is we've got this concept called time to care. And that is about removing those barriers, removing those elements of bureaucracy that then gives our colleagues time to actually care, because that's what they want to do. Um, and so, and then the other part of that is to create an environment that is all about improvement and learning, and is not in any way about blame. Mm. And um, so, and, and this is a massive cultural shift that our company has been on. It's about moving away from uh, people feeling that they can't speak up, or people feeling that they uh, don't have a say or they can't share experiences when things don't go as well as they should, to a culture where that's absolutely the expected norm. That actually what we want our do to all our colleagues to do is if anything happens in our homes, whether it, it's actually caused an incident or it was a near miss or potentially was just a risk, is that we create a way of learning from that, which is why we're so involved with yourselves about the learning outcome part of the of, of radar that we're absolutely desperate to to succeed with because if you then create that environment that everybody feels that they uh, things that go wrong can be learned about then it becomes a really self-fulfilling environment because people are really wanting to work in that because they how many times you hear people say i've told them that but they haven't done anything about it and you hear it constantly in organisations. So what we want to move to is that continual learning. And that is part of the whole retention strategy because then it becomes a better place to work it, and it allows people the time to focus on care. And I truly believe that will help us retain staff. Yeah, sure. And, you you know, you, you've been on this and HC1 and, and your role in particular has been on this digital transformation journey uh, for some mm. time now. And, and you touched on it there around electronic care plans. Um, but I want to talk to you today about the use of technology and to drive mm. the right quality um, through the outcomes um, within your homes. And, and why is it so important to gain that oversight of all the locations that you've got? It's a really widespread organization. So, so the use of the technology that you're bringing in, um, does this 
Does this allow you to promote best practice with the use of technology? Have you got examples of where the understanding of of that, uh, where something is happening in one home, has prevented it happening in another site? Yeah, so we started, for example, uh, uh, bringing in a set of what we call early warning dashboards, uh, which were bringing all that insight work together to sort of give us indications across a whole load of different indicators, uh, people, environment, workforce, uh, clinical indicators, all these kind of regulator concerns, all these kind of things into one place to start giving us early warnings when a home was going slightly out of kilter. Mm. Now, part of that was then to bring in incidents and when things were happening when things were going wrong or when a coroner was involved in an inquest and made some recommendations or a local authority came in and um, made some observations about the tools we were using or the way we were using them and we decided to bring all that together in a package and it's a digital package which is called our organizational learning pack and, and this is what, um, and then what we did was to change our, our home's management style away from lots of different meetings about clinical risk, health and safety, all these kind of things, into one big meeting called an organizational learning meeting. And we feed into that through the technology, the insight reports, the early warning reports, the organizational learning information. And we ask the home to learn in a session with the whole team not about KPIs, not about performance indicators, but about learning. And, and, and that's how we've used the technology we have. And as we, as we get better with radar coming on board and our care planning solutions, we'll be able to just drive that into a whole different level of sophistication. And then we can start, that gives us a real insight to all of our homes. And then that does mean really clearly that we can do what we have now got in place in a much more slick way. But what we've got in place now is if, for example, a coroner issued a a set of recommendations or a prevention of future deaths notification in one part of the country, I'm 100% confident that all of our homes would very quickly and very timely know what that is to prevent it happening in one of their homes. Uh, Because we used to see that, and we used to see that uh, one local authority was saying, we don't think you're doing that correctly. And we might deal with that at a local level. But then, you know, 200 miles north in the country, the the home was doing the same thing, and the local authority was saying the same thing. So, so, and that has the potential then to not be doing our best for our residents. So we're using the technology to share the information, push the learning, in to just completely underpin that organizational learning culture that we're so passionate about and trying to achieve. So going back to um, insights from the beginning, you mentioned that anyone can create an insight model. It would be great if we can end with um, you offering up some tips or, or where do you start to create that uh, for a care provider uh, and what should they begin to focus on? So I think I think it goes right back to the start of our conversation. Don't forget about compliance because that's important, but that's not your starting point. Your starting point is if we want to understand what's happening to every single one of our residents in every single one of our locations, what information do we need to bring in one place that gives us the context? 
So, so traditionally, organisations you know will have HR systems, finance systems, property management systems, quality systems, all those kinds of things. So the end point is where you focus on bringing all of that information together and understanding how you can organise that information to give you those indicators and provide the context. So that example we used about the weight loss and the property, if we hadn't had the foresight to bring that refurb information into that insights model, we would have missed that. Mm. So it's about understanding all that stuff you need to provide that context, you know. So, um, and, and that's really important. And um, and I think that that would be the biggest tip I would say. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much for sharing your insight. Um, at the end of each episode, we ask everyone um, to describe what is uh, the health tech moment. And uh, this is just a bit of fun, really. I'd be, I'm sure our listeners would be interested to know, have you got any weird or wonderful stories that you've experienced in the health and social care industry? Crikey. Um, <laughs> a number. I mean, I was fortunate enough to, as a CQC inspector, to I think I inspected at over 800 care homes in my time. So I've seen all sorts of, of, of things that are taking place. But I'll tell you one thing that I, almost brought me to tears the other week that I saw was, um, you know, I, I, have, I fundamentally believe in, in, in sort of giving positive risk taking. You know, risk taking and risk assessment is usually about stopping people doing things. I'm passionate about positively encouraging people things to do. And that's where technology can can help us enormously. And um, I saw the other week a gentleman who, 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 who you know, had quite a significant uh, level of dementia. Um, but for years, all he'd done is walk round the corner to get a newspaper. As his dementia had progressed, he was unable to do that because the home were quite worried that, you know, that uh, if he went out on his own, he might wander off and they wouldn't know where he was. And secondly, you know, they didn't necessarily have the staff levels to, to go and accompany this person every day. So what they did was find online a pair of shoes that had a GPS tracker in them. <laughs> And this gentleman, and they're a lovely pair of shoes, he loves the shoes, he puts them on every day, he goes out and gets his newspaper, and the care staff know exactly where he is. And if he does decide to just take a slightly different route to normal, they are aware of that on their phone, they can track him, and you know, and uh, they can do that. And, and before anybody worries about consent and all that kind of stuff, we did all of that, and, uh, and, and the best interest and the family were involved in, in all of that. But how good is that? Yeah, and that perfect. was change that man's life through a simple piece of technology you know it's so simple yet so effective and so so powerful Mm -hmm. what a wonderful way to end um thank you so much Mm -hmm. anthony thanks for joining us this week and thanks uh, to you all for listening Uh, join us next week for a new episode and don't forget to rate and subscribe and and if you have any questions for us or our guests um please email what's the health tech at radarhealthcare.com Thank you.